Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in week two of a series called Enjoy Life. And we launched that last week. I had not preached for a little while, so I crammed three messages into one. So go back and podcast that. Give yourself some time. But I would love for you, if you weren't here, to go and do that. Get the CC app. Go to the website. um, Find it anywhere podcasts are found because it really does kind of set up where we're going. And we're just answering the huge questions, obviously. Like, how do you enjoy life? Here's the underlying question. Like, how do you find happiness? And here's what we said last week, that your happiness and your enjoyment have almost nothing to do with what. It has everything to do with who. In fact, the more you make it about what, whatever your what is, it's a, it's a benchmark, it's a career, it's a job, it's more money, it's, it's what you're leasing. But the more you make it about what, the more you're led to what else. Because it always overpromises and it always underdelivers. And, and we're a culture right now, maybe more than any other culture, where we are so trapped by our feelings. Like our feelings are our truth, our feelings are our validation. And yet, if you have a 16 year old kid, you just need to remind yourself by looking at their life that your feelings lie to you. True? Can I get an amen from any parent at any of the campuses? Because that's just truth right there. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. That's just true. And so the reality is in our culture, because like our feelings are our truth, is that when we feel unhappy, we reach for something to feel better. And a lot of times the thing that we reach for to feel better is the very thing that undermines our future happiness and our future pleasure. And what ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus, what Jesus has for your life. And here's what we said last week. Come on. Life has enough unavoidable pain on its own, doesn't it? Like there's enough of what happened to you and around you that you don't need to add to it with a busted up decision or date or something that you're pursuing for the future that's not going to end well. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to follow me into something better. Now, here's the issue. We don't believe that. Like, excuse my language, but I just want to, I love how people get offended by the things that I say that they think all the time, but I'm going to do it anyway. The the underlying um, invitation that a lot of us feel, even if you're not going to say it, is follow Jesus, it's going to suck. And like, you want to follow Jesus for some, some of you don't, some of you are skeptical, I'm glad you're listening or in here, but that's like the underlying thing. And the church has reinforced that with this theology around this statement that you'll hear a lot of times, that God wants you holy, he doesn't want you happy. Usually said by angry white men in churches, but um, <laughs> that wasn't in the 9 a.m. So you came to the 1045, that was just for you. But that a lot of times, like, that's, that's the case when we build this theology around it that's not actually true, as if those two things are competing with each other. They're like, God came to make you holy, and holiness means center of his will is going to be miserable, but you need to do it anyway because it's Jesus. And nothing could be further from the truth, like, What we said last week is you have been given and created with the capacity for happiness and pleasure. And God just didn't give you that by accident. His desire is actually to fulfill it and lead you into something better. And here's the other thing a lot of times we think in terms of Christianity or following Jesus. It's all about living a life where you're trying not to do what you want to do. That's not what Jesus came to offer. In, In fact, there's a verse in the scripture that talks about the fact that Jesus didn't come to suppress your desires, he came to transform them because he's the master manufacturer. He owns the patent on everything. He knows how you operate and work. And so he literally wants to transform the desires of your heart so you actually start to follow your happiness where God wants it to lead and you stop undermining it. And so when you really get to a place where you're following Jesus, it's not about white knuckling a life where you're like, I just want to follow Jesus, but it means not doing what I want to do. Jesus is like, I know I came to transform 
from your desires and lead you into what I've really created for you. And ultimately, it's not an issue of pain-free, problem-free, because pain and trouble is coming for all of us. But there is life to the full that's only encountered in Jesus. And if you follow me, Jesus is going, that's where I want to lead you. And so the question is, okay, then Jesus, how, how do we get there? And so I want to look at Jesus' most famous sermon and most famous message in all of the scriptures, and it's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, call it whatever you want. But over and over again, there's a word used in that message if you grew up in church. What's the word? North Campus. I'll give you a chance in a second. What's the word North Campus? What's the word South Campus? Blessed. And here's the thing. Um, this sounds so arrogant, so just take it for what it is, but I, I've, I've rarely heard this talked about within context. I've rarely heard this talked about in regard to what Jesus is actually teaching. We take these verses out and we make up all kinds of stuff around them. But the, the epicenter of what Jesus was teaching about was how do you find enjoyment and how do you find happiness? Again, not that Things aren't going to hit the fan. They are. We live in a sin-infested world. But even with that, there is a life that you can enjoy. There is happiness that Jesus wants to give you. And here's the thing. That, little, that word blessed comes from a little Greek word that means it's makaros. And it literally means fortunate or happy. And in this most famous sermon that we've quoted a million times, usually we don't know what Jesus is actually talking about, he's actually answering the question, here's how you find enjoyment. Here's how you find happiness in me. And so he says, this is what it looks like. This is what, it this is what you pursue. This is how you get there. And so over and over again, there's blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed people, happy people, fortunate people. Here's what they do. And here's what I want you to listen for. Can I just teach for a few minutes this morning? Like, I'm going to get loud and preach because that's just what I do because I can't help it sometimes. But I just want to chop this up and break this down a little bit. And there's eight statements that I want to look at. And there's a common denominator in all of them. And this is so huge because for some of you, what Jesus is about to unpack, it, there is extraordinary insight, and this is the way forward for you. You're in a place right now wondering where to go, or you're in a place you didn't want to be, or, or you're wondering what this looks like for the next season of your life, and Jesus is going, I'm telling you, this is what you lean into. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to do any of this. You can ignore all this. You never signed on to the Jesus thing. But I'm telling you, even if you're not sure about what you believe, you should listen to what Jesus says because his insight is extraordinary. So he breaks down these several statements and says, this is what it means to follow me into happiness or the life that I'm trying to give you. And here's what he says in Matthew 5, verse 1. You with me, north and south, right now? He says, if you look it up on your CC app, you can follow along these verses. If you've got an old school Bible, that's amazing. And it's going to be on the screen at both campuses. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside, sat down, and his disciples, so it's like there's apostles, those are like the 12 guys, disciples, a little bit larger crowd, and then you probably know this, Jesus would have literally hundreds, sometimes thousands of people at certain points that would end up around him listening to him as he taught. And so here's all these people who are coming to him in verse 2, and he began to teach them. And it's so crazy because this is the most quoted message that Jesus ever taught. Jesus actually comes back and teaches this content with different words several times in the New Testament. And at the heart of it is, here's how you enjoy life and here's how you follow me into happiness. And so here's what he says. He said, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. And right there you're like, I'm out. Because like, if you're Jesus, that's what I expect. There's going to be some kind of ethereal, spiritual language. That's not really what I'm looking for. I, like, I actually want to know how to be happy. And this, is not, this, this just does not jive with happiness or living a life of enjoyment. And Jesus is like, shut up. Let, let me finish in my paraphrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus right off the bat dispels a myth. And we know this. Jesus a lot of times just brings to the surface what we already know, but he's like socioeconomic status has nothing to do with your enjoyment. It has nothing to do with your happiness. There are rich, happy people. There are rich people who enjoy life. There's also rich people who are absolutely miserable. And there's poor people who are absolutely miserable. And then there's poor people who enjoy life who are actually living happy lives. Some of you have gone to mission fields or trips and you're with people and you look at their circumstances and they're smiling back at you and they feel like they're enjoying life in a hut. And you're like, what do you have to be happy about? And their answer would be, it's not a what, it's a who. What rarely leads to happiness. And here's what Jesus is saying is, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. Here's what that means. 
The poor in spirit get up every single day and they're like, God, no matter what's going on circumstantially in my life, I just want to declare I need you. And I need you today as much as I needed you. When I was driving a Dodge Neon that was breaking apart, had nothing, it was a tape player, maybe it was an A-track, I don't think that was in a Dodge Neon, but whatever it was, it was ghetto as it could possibly get. And isn't it true when you got a Dodge Neon with a tape player that's about to fall apart, it is so easy to throw up your hands to go, God, I just surrender everything to you. And God's like, I don't even want it, keep it. But then you, you start to, you get into it, and, and it doesn't matter what it is. It's just more than what you have before. And all of a sudden, it's, it's much harder to get up every day and realize I'm just as dependent as I was in Dodge Neon days. And if you have a Dodge Neon, I apologize. I didn't think that through until right now when I was talking about it. Um, but I bet you're happy. So here, this is the point that Jesus is making. And he's like, listen, it, it, there's no correlation. There's no correlation whatsoever, but with more, you start to feel less dependent. And Jesus is like, you get up every single day and and you declare the fact that you need me. And some of us, like we've learned the hard way because the moment you start to put your hope and your trust in the provision and not the provider, your happiness goes out the window. I'll tell you why. Because the moment you begin to do that, you suddenly feel like you control the outcomes or you have to control the outcomes and you have no ability to control any outcomes in your life. You've been called to hustle. You've been called to do whatever you can do, steward what God has given you, but you cannot control the markets. You cannot control your family. You cannot control what happens in two years. As much as you are entrepreneurial and brilliant, I'm telling you, without something else outside of you, it could all end tomorrow. And he's going, listen, when you start to trust the education, the market share, the 401k, your ability to make this happen and get trend lines up and to the right is the moment you start to feel like you have to control it and you're staring up at the ceiling at night, drinking extra drinks with anxiety that is off the rails because you have no ability to do that and you're not happy. You're not enjoying life. And so Jesus is like, happy people, they're all over the spectrum. They're poor, they're rich, they're somewhere in the middle, but they get up every day and recognize that I am dependent, God, on you today as I have ever been. I'm telling you, one of the best prayers you could pray is to get up every day and and this is something I was told years ago, and it kind of goes with the, the Lord's Prayer, if you've ever heard that. And it just kind of paraphrases it this way, that, that God, today I'm, I want to surrender my will to you, which just means whatever you say trumps whatever I want. And so yes to you, I surrender my will, and then secondarily, I declare my dependence. And just about probably several times a week, I just get up in the morning just to remind myself that, that no matter what's happened in my life, I, I need God as much today as ever. And so I'm going to trust him with what I can give him. And then I'm going to trust him with tomorrow. And Jesus is like, that is the pathway into happiness and into enjoyment. Don't you ever forget that you need me. And then he says this, blessed are those who mourn. You're like, okay, Jesus. No, no, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And there is no way intuitively, like, I don't know how that connects to happiness whatsoever, but here's what Jesus is saying, is that mourners are people who are emotionally connected. And they're willing to walk into pain, and they're willing to walk into heartbreak, and they're willing to walk into suffering, and they're even willing to walk into death, and they are willing to feel all of it. And I'm telling you, in our culture, more and more, that's just not the case. And I rail on this a lot, but I'm going to do it again. But the, the church is really bad at this dynamic where we are very uncomfortable with people suffering. And we disguise it as we want their good and we want to help them move out of whatever they're feeling. And really what it is, is I want to fix you because I feel bad about how you're making me feel. And so I need you to move beyond your stuff really quick because it's really starting to depress me and you need to kind of get on out of that. So here's, um, you know, here's a chapter and a couple verses and here's a prayer. Are you feeling better now? And Jesus is like, no, no, you just need to enter into that. You don't need to try to just fix somebody all the time. You don't need to just ignore it. You need to enter into it. And there is a connection between your emotional connection with other people and your happiness. Let me tease this out a little bit further, because a lot of us, man, and I get it, like you're you're not wanting to go to a funeral. We we show up 
We hope a couple people see us so that they know that we're there, but then we're out really quick and you grab an extra drink on the way home and like you kind of try to shake it off. And I just don't want to be there and I get it. But Jesus is going, this is so brilliant. You're missing something. Because the more that you disconnect emotionally, the more you live in fantasy. The more you live in a Western culture where you think you just do enough Pilates and you just do enough keto and you just Botox that mug up and you do whatever you're going to do, that somehow death is not going to come for you. And like, here's the reality. Death is coming for you. Welcome to church. Like, it's all of us. And come on, isn't it true though? Like we, we, we tend to move into this place of like fantasy and we disconnect ourselves from it. And here's the whole point Jesus is making because I got to move on is that the more you live fearing dying, it will rob you of the joy of living. And one of the ways that Jesus wants to anchor the hope that this is not all there is is by you entering into the pain of other people because that's the mechanism to remind you specifically as a Jesus follower, hey, one day all of this is going to end. One day all of this is going to be different. One day Jesus is coming back. One day every tear is going to be wiped away. One day Jesus is going to stomp out injustice. One day Jesus is going to crush addiction. One day Jesus is going to remove every evil. One day Jesus is going to confront every bad thing and he's going to make it untrue. And this is not home. There is a groaning in my soul that says, you shouldn't be going through this and I shouldn't be walking with you through this. It is a sin-infested world, but we have a Savior that died on the cross and walked out of a grave alive and I'm not home yet but home is coming and everything is going to be made right and this is not all there is there is hope for the future and I need you to remind me of that and so Jesus says that's how you follow me into happiness the very thing you're avoiding is the very thing that gives you confidence in living and you've met people who they enjoy life and it's not that there's a wrinkle-free life, but there is a confidence about the future and about the fact that this isn't all there is. And I'm not asking for death, but I'm not fearing it. Jesus says, that's where you're going to find happiness. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit, inherit the whole planet. Now, this is, like, this is misunderstood. You probably heard this before because it's always negatively. Like, nobody's like, 2019 goal list. I just want to be more meek. You're not... Looking at your daughter going, like, I just hope she marries a meek man. I want to marry a man with a job and, you know, like, but nobody says that because we misunderstand. We confuse meekness with this weak thing. But here's what it actually means. This is the actual definition. A proper estimation or valuation of oneself within the broader context of God's creation and love. It, it is a proper estimation of who you are and who you are in Jesus is pretty amazing. But the whole idea is this, that when you are meek, here's what you understand. God's given you a divine destiny. God's given you a will. At some level, God has placed you where you are 2019 on planet earth in your city to change some people around you for all of eternity through his power. God has invited you into that. And you are a part of a larger story, but you are not the center of the story. And so you have a proper estimation of you that keeps you from constantly and incessantly trying to gain more followers and gain more recognition and make decisions about people who don't even know you, but you feel this need to keep up or that maybe you're following, following, following behind and you, you begin to do things that aren't even within the rhythm of what God wants for your life. You're constantly jockeying for position. And come on, this has never been more true than it is in our society where we are Instagramming it and making decisions and competing with people that we may never meet. And it's leading us into a lane of our lives where we're far away from what God's plan is for us. He's going, listen, my divine destiny is good enough for you. The race I have for you is incredible. Don't start running their race because as soon as you do, envy is going to rot your bones, to quote Solomon, but a heart at peace gives life to your body. You need to know who you are. You need to know what I've called you to, and you need to recognize you don't need to be looking at anybody else to the right or the left, in front or behind you. I'm leading you somewhere, but you need to understand who you are. You need to get up every day and go, God, I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do, and then you need to trust me with the outcome, and if you don't, you will hand over your happiness. It's a big deal, man. I think we need to come back and, and teach a whole series about this. But, but every, um, every week, probably, there's two things that as I was thinking through these, these 
notes that I realized just kind of made it way into, the, into my routine that I was taught years ago. But I have a little thing in my journal because every single one of us are susceptible to this. And it just says, God, I want to be in the center of your will. So whatever you want from my life, I, I just really want to be in that as much as I possibly can. And then, God, I want to maximize my potential. So whatever you've given me, whatever gifts you've given me, I just want to make sure I don't leave anything on the table. But then, God, I want to fully and completely trust you with the future. That whatever you want to do with that, it's yours. You know the best example of this is John the Baptist in the New Testament. And we romanticize John the Baptist. We do this with a lot of characters. We, we lose the, the reality and the rawness of what was actually going on. But come on, think about John the Baptist. He was the guy that prepared the way for Jesus, right? If you know the scriptures at all. If you don't, that's what he did. And so he's the guy that's like, hey, he's preaching. Get everybody ready. There's a Messiah coming. His name is Jesus. He's going to be amazing. I'm just kind of the opening act. I'm the garage band for the, you know, the, the main show. And so, so John the Baptist is preparing the way. And literally, John the Baptist has thousands who are following him, coming to hear him. One time, this might be hyperbole, but either way, like it's a lot. One time it said that John the Baptist was down there baptizing and all of Jerusalem came. That's literally what the writer says. All, like, John the Baptist had more followers than anybody, more likes than anybody. I mean, he was the guy. And then Jesus comes along, and all of a sudden, all the guys that were following John start to follow Jesus. All of the people that John was baptizing, most of those people start to get baptized by Jesus' disciples. And what was John's whole, because one day John's disciples come to him and say, hey, do you know that all of your followers are leaving to follow Jesus and they're baptizing all of these people and now your crowds are shrinking and nobody's following you anymore. And John didn't look at his guys and go, okay, we'll go find out what baptism technique that they're employing. We'll come, we'll strategize that, we'll, we'll somehow incorporate that so we can keep up with Jesus. Here's what... John actually said, I love this. We can only receive what comes to us from heaven. I didn't ask for it. I didn't create it. I'm not the reason that all of Jerusalem showed up on the riverbanks. That was a stewardship that God placed in my hand, and God can place it in my hand, and God can take it back out. And I'm not going to live my life jockeying for recognition or followers or, or more friends or living a life where it is about me. I'm going to maximize my potential. I'm going to do everything God's called me to do, and I'm going to try to not be somebody that I'm not, and I'm going to trust him with the outcome. And Jesus is like, when you do that, you will find your way into happiness. That's what meekness means. And then he says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? North Campus, what? Who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they're going to be filled. And you know what this means. Jesus is like, you just get up and you work to do the right thing regardless of the cost. Like, people who enjoy life are those with no guilt, no regret, not perfectly because we're all busted up, and a clear conscience. They get up and go, okay, God, to, to the best I can, I want to follow you. And here's what we said last week, man, and this is what, if I could somehow sear this into your thinking and into your heart, I would. But sin always substitutes and sin always separates. It substitute counterfeit stuff that you think is going to bring the pleasure and the happiness that you want. And you get there and realize it didn't, didn't offer what I thought and you're left with regret. But sin doesn't just substitute. Sin also separates. It always separates. It is the cause and effect relationship. It separates you from God. Not that God's gone anywhere, but you feel disconnected from your heavenly father because there's just stuff that's off the rails in your life. And more than that, it disconnects you from other people around you. Sin always kills and sabotages relationships. But then the third thing is sin always disconnects and steals your peace with you. When you enter into this thing that like, okay, I think this is going to offer happiness and peace. And you go down the road that started all the way back with Adam and Eve. Like it's good for a while, but it always separates you from you where all of a sudden you don't have a good relationship with you. You're carrying guilt and shame or you know something's not right or you just don't feel enough and it's not God that's implanting that on you. It is sin and when you follow sin and when you take up the invitation of sin, it separates you from you and so Jesus is like, if you want happiness, if you want a life of fulfillment, you get up every day and go, okay, God, what's the right thing to do? How do you want to follow me? And it might be counterintuitive because nobody's hand handling sexuality like that but I'm just going to do it because you said nobody's handling their finances like that and live 
living under their means and giving stuff away. But I'm just going to live like that. I'm going to prioritize the way that you said. I'm going to raise my kids the way that you said. I just want to do the right thing. And Jesus is like, when you get up every day and begin to make that your declaration and your desire, I'm going to lead you out of where you are and into happiness and into enjoyment. Because come on, every time Jesus invites you to follow a command, just write this next to it. It is an invitation into freedom. You thought there was freedom in what you were leasing and going after, and now you're a prisoner to debt. You thought there was freedom in just expressing your sexuality however you wanted, and now you are in a prison of shame and guilt. You, you thought that you could prioritize whatever you wanted for that decade of your life, but some of that stuff is still following you. And Jesus is like, I am not after trying to take anything from you. I want to give something to you. It's why I went to the cross for you. And so when you see one of my commands, you are given an invitation into freedom. And when you follow me into doing the right thing, regardless of the cost, you are going to obtain happiness and enjoyment with it. And come on, all of you, North, South, on radio, podcast, you already know that. Nobody need to get up on a stage and talk to any of us about that. Like intuitively we know, but Jesus is like, you just have to be reminded that your greatest regret did not happen when you did the right thing. Nobody like, well, it's just the right thing, but I have so much regret around it now. And nobody like, you don't want to go back to your sophomore year in college and like, man, I just wish I could go back there, rewind that and make some more dysfunctional decisions. (laughs) Jesus is like, no, no, I'm leading you in a better way and, and blessed, happy are those who seek righteousness, because that may sound intimidating. It just means freedom, because they're going to be filled up with the life that I want to give them, and I got to move quicker. Verse 7, happiness are the what? Come on, a little more energy. Help me preach this. I'm all by myself up here. I need your engagement. Happiness are the what? For they will be shown mercy. People who enjoy life, people who find happiness are relationally generous. They give exactly what the other person doesn't deserve. They find a way to be relationally generous where they're not hanging on to revenge with their ex-wife, and that's easier said than done. They're not hanging on to bitterness. They're not hanging on to a debt that they need to cancel from somebody else, and it's not that that person didn't wrong them, but you're, you're carrying all the shrapnel and the wounds from what they did. It's a person that's not looking to somehow sabotage. They're not holding on to stuff where they are so eaten up with bitterness. They're not waiting to be paid back. They have found a way to give away what the other person did not deserve. And come on, just go with me for just a second. This is so huge as it relates to your happiness. Some of you have given your happiness over to somebody else without knowing it. And now you're going, you tell me when I can get my happiness back. And Jesus is going, you don't need to hand over your happiness to anybody. And the moment you're carrying, I'm waiting to be paid back or I'm waiting for it to be reconciled, Jesus is going, you are literally giving away your happiness and the enjoyment of life that I want to give you and I want you to take it back. And so happy are the people who found a way to be relationally generous. And come on, isn't this true? You have met some people that they're they're in a place where a lot has been done to them, a lot has happened to them, they've been wronged in really deep ways. I mean, let me just ask you this. Have you ever met a happy person that's eaten up with bitterness? This don't exist. But you've met happy people who've been wounded deeply and somehow they've still found a way to enjoy life because they have been relationally generous toward their dad who didn't deserve it, toward their boss who didn't deserve it, toward their ex who didn't deserve it, And they never got what they deserved. But they got happiness. They found their way into enjoyment. And here's just straight up what Jesus is saying. Let's just break it down. When you give what the other person doesn't deserve, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Blessed are the relationally generous. You have the ability to go free. Get your happiness back. And then this next one is like so powerful. I think this might be the most brilliant one. I don't know, there might be one other I'm gonna get to in a second of what Jesus says is so, is so crazy. But this is the one that's almost like, because it, it's so foreign in our culture. But here, before it goes up on screen, don't put it up there yet. What Jesus is going is, hey, do you wanna see clearly in life? 
Because again, we, we have enough of like, I, I, looking back, I wish I could do it different. And she's like, do you want to see clearly? Do, do you want to be able to see regret ahead of time and avoid it, unlike a lot of people? Do you want to know what God wants for this season of your life and just have extreme wisdom and clarity around that? And there's a bunch of us there that as much as we want to follow, a lot of times there seems like roadblocks of, I don't really know what the right thing is, or I get to another season where I made a decision and I go, how in the world did I not see that? And Jesus is going, there's a way around that. There is a wisdom, there's a clarity for the future, there is an insight that's not hindsight that only comes from me, and it's found this way. He says it, blessed are the what? Blessed are the pure in heart. This is so powerful. For they will see God. Jesus is like, this is the antidote for the people over and over again are just going, I just, I should have known. I should have seen that. I should have known. But I didn't. And now I'm dealing with stuff that I wish that I could undo. And so Jesus is like, I'm inviting you into purity in a culture that doesn't even value the word unless it's related to water. But it's a big deal. Ethical purity, moral purity, renewing your mind with what I have for your life, recognizing that you don't have to experience everything to know what the outcome is. Jesus is going, I wrote you some stuff 2,000 years ago, and because I'm Jesus, I can say this, and it's not arrogant, it's brilliant, it's amazing. It's going to change your life. And some of it just gives you some predictable paths and outcomes to where you don't have to experience it all to know. Jesus has already told you this is where it's going to end up. And you're not going to be different. And you're not smarter. And you're not going to circumvent the system. So you just need to trust me on the front end. And the pathway to clarity is purity. When you desire to every part of my life, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. My sexuality, it's yours. Ethically, what I'm tempted to do right now to get where I want to get, it's yours. I'm surrendering all of it to you. And Jesus is like, happy is the person who lives a life seeking purity because it is the greatest opportunity they have to see the activity of God in their life. Some of you are in a place right now where you're right on the verge of a decision or you've already entered into it and you've got this underlying lie that I'm just going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss out on something. And Jesus is going, listen, I just need you to trust me. And if you begin to follow me into purity, I'm going to lead you into happiness. And I get that nobody in culture is calling you to this. Nobody is even going to help you with this. Nobody's going to give you any support with this. But I am calling you into it. And it is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. And the roadblock to where you need to go next, the roadblock to what do I do, the roadblock to just not understanding where you are, maybe the fact that there's some stuff in your way. And Jesus is going, I want you to surrender it. I want you to pursue purity. I want you to trust me. You can't compartmentalize it. And the moment you do, it may open the door to clarity in your relationship with me and your future that you've never experienced before. And can I just encourage some of you? It's never too late to pursue that. And the moment you do, it's Jesus is going from now on. I don't care what you've done in the past. From now on, I want you to pursue this. And this is the pathway into happiness and into enjoyment. And then he says this, blessed are the what? You, you still with me at the South Campus, or I just lose you? I know it's convicting, but come on, I'm going to be done in a second. Just blessed, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Meaning, your heavenly father, what's at the heart of who he is? He's a reconciler. He sent Jesus to be a reconciler. Churches, that I'm not talking about ignoring sin, but churches that are constantly dividing in culture, I guarantee you Jesus is nowhere in the picture in terms of the center of that church or movement. Jesus came not to divide, he came to reconcile. That was his whole point. And so when you take on that posture to reconcile with others, you are most like your heavenly father and you experience intimacy that you don't experience any other way. And come on, I'll be quick, but let's just tease this out what we already know. Have you ever met any happy idiots? No, for real. I mean, they might act like it, but seriously, have you ever met any happy, I'm enjoying life troublemakers? In fact, what those people love to do is sabotage other people's happiness. Because if you are unhappy, you don't like other people being unhappy around you. I've met with countless couples like that. There's one that sticks in my mind that I know about where they're sitting down, things were horrible, and she later admitted that she just constantly tried to make her husband unhappy because she was so unhappy. And one day, and this was a defining moment for their marriage, she just, he just looked at her and, and he's like, listen, I am not going to allow you to make me unhappy anymore. 
And it began to change something in their relationship. It began to change the trajectory of where they were going. And so Jesus is just like, listen, people who enjoy life are reconcilers. They make peace. By the way, let me just go hard for a second. That's different than keep peace. People who keep peace sometimes are just sellouts. Like you need people, and this is the kind of people you want in your crew. They make peace. They drop into middle of conversations and just an awkward grenade of, hey, should you be talking about them? Have you asked them about that? Have you ever had that people group in your home, in your living room, breaking bread with them, but you're so easily judging them from across the country? Like they just stand in the middle and they just constantly drop awkward grenades to go, I love you, but I'm not gonna be a peacekeeper because a lot of times I'm just a sellout. Everybody loves me. Well, that's not really a compliment. I'm going to make peace because it's worth it. I serve a savior that was a reconciler. I'm gonna reconcile. I'm gonna reconcile people. I'm gonna reconcile people groups. I'm going to reconcile conversations. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make peace. And I'm just telling you, the church, Big C, Capital Church, we are terrible at this. And we just need to step in. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's we're bored when we get to church or what it is. But like, we just need to make more peace. Because churches that are divided and constantly in this place where nobody is willing to make peace, I'm telling you, they're the greatest hindrance to the gospel of Jesus when you're telling people that Jesus is a God of reconciliation for every single person in all of humanity. I I used to be so naive when I started this, and and everybody faces this, and if you're any kind of leadership, you face this, but I had this naive view of like, if I just did the right thing and had the right motives, then everybody would just be good. They would just trust you only to realize people just make crap up. I mean, they'll just say stuff. And so I just, and I gotta move on, but this is just, I'm gonna give you this for free, but let me just give you one technique. Is I would have people all the time coming to me about, hey, they said this, this person said this, this person talked about this, blah, blah, on and on and on and went. And so I just got to the place where like, okay, here's how I'm gonna start to make peace. Somebody would come to me, and it's a little awkward, but this is what I'm talking about. And I would just go, hey, listen, I'm not really concerned so much with what they said and what went down and all the stuff that you're relaying to me about, you know, how they feel. What I wanna ask you is why did they feel so comfortable to talk about me to you? End of relationship. But like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything that I can to make peace peace. Not because you're trying to be confrontational, because come on, this is at the heart of following Jesus. And Jesus is like, listen, if you want to follow me into happiness, you are going to be a peacemaker because you are most connected to the heart of your heavenly father. And you already know that that's true. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus is brilliant enough to go, if you want to live a life of happiness, if you want to live a life of enjoyment, this is the pathway into it. And then can I give you one more? Okay. Um, hopefully you're good at North. Um, that was less than enthusiastic. Then, then he gets to the one I don't know. And, I, and I'll go quick because I, obviously you, you, got, you got lunch plans. Verse 10. <laughs> Happiness comes to those. And this is, again, like, okay, Jesus, I believe that you're son of God, but I don't. Happiness comes to those who are what? North Campus? What South Campus? Persecuted. And you're like, okay, that doesn't, that word doesn't go with happiness. That word doesn't go with enjoyment. Those two are mutually exclusive. But he's like, Jesus is like, no, no, no. Blessed, happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, meaning just doing the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I get It's not intuitive. Like, I don't take the answers. I fail the test. Everybody else seems to be happy, but I fail the semester. Or I decide not to cut corners with what they're doing that's unethical in my department, and I end up losing my job or or the sales plummet. Like, I'm not going to be happy about that. So, Jesus, how do you connect these two things? And here's what Jesus says, and here's what a lot of us have already discovered. You're going to suffer in this life, number one. Things are going to hit the fan. Jesus' invitation, not invitation, but promise that in this life, you're going to have trouble. And you're going to have trouble for doing the right thing. And you're going to have trouble for doing the wrong thing. You're going to have trouble either way. But you will only experience happiness and enjoyment on one side of that equation. Because when you, when you get to a place where 
you decide to do the right thing and you're still suffering and persecuted, here's what happens is you can still maintain peace with God and that's everything to go, okay, listen, I I can't control what's going on around me. I know this is the right thing, but I feel okay. I know that I'm connected with God. I know I'm doing the right thing. And then more than that, you maintain peace with you. You maintain a good relationship with you. You don't pile up regret for you. But when you decide to be persecuted for doing what's wrong, you don't have peace with God. In many cases, you don't have peace with other people and you lose peace with yourself. You end up not being okay with you. And so Jesus says, listen, you're gonna be mistreated. Do you wanna be mistreated for doing what's right? Or do you wanna be mistreated for doing what's wrong? Because happiness comes to those who are mistreated for doing What's right? This isn't an issue of you're going to avoid suffering or persecution. That's just coming. This is an issue of your happiness and your enjoyment. And so Jesus says, when you suffer, when you're mistreated, when you're wrong for doing what's right, you can maintain peace with God and you can maintain peace with you. And hey, guys, by the way, that is happiness. And so Jesus is going, listen, so you want to know how to enjoy life? You want to know what to lean into, what to pursue, what this looks like? This is what it looks like. So, so here's the common denominator of everything that Jesus said is that enjoyment of life. I started to talk about this last week because I started to bleed over into part two because I went off my notes. So my bad on that. But enjoying life ultimately is an outcome. Enjoying life, happiness is a result of something now that leads to something later. It's, it's less immediate and it's more ultimate. Let me say it this way. The happiness that you're after, like the enjoyment of life that you're after is not immediately accessible. And you know that. Like there is no message that you're going to hear and you're going to walk out and go, I'm happy now. There's no podcast you're going to download. There's no book you're going to read. There's no like magic bullet and you're going to get that and suddenly everything changes and you experience enjoyment, you experience happiness. It doesn't work that way. Happiness that you're after is not immediately accessible. And Jesus is going, it's way better than that because for some of you, your happiness is all over the map. It is so volatile. Your happiness is Bitcoin. It's up one day, it's down the other. Three people got that reference, but like it's all over the place. And Jesus is going, no, 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 it's something better than that. Happiness is an outcome. Happiness is not fragile. You sow and you reap your way into it. Which means if you're experiencing happiness and enjoyment at a deep level, it doesn't mean everything is great. It means you sowed and reaped your way there. And if you're in a place right now where you wish you could go back, you wish you could undo, you wish you could rewind, it's because you, you sowed and reaped your way there. And here's the good news real quick, because I'm not going to end with that. Because my job title is dispenser of good news. Because that is the essence of following Jesus. That no matter how bad it is, there is hope on the other side. And so wherever you have sown and reaped your, your way toward, whatever you, you sowed and reaped your way into, you can sow and reap your way out. And I want to tell some of you this because you need to hear this right now. You may have given up on your happiness. Jesus has not. And you may have given up on your future, but Jesus has not. And in fact, what you find all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament is that Jesus has been preparing for your return. And you may have been given up, but while you're given up, he's already preparing for the moment you go, I'm going to begin to sow and reap my way into a different direction. It's the Israelites in the wilderness wandering for several decades, behavior off the rails, wanted nothing to do with God. And all the while, God was already preparing to defeat their enemies, lead them into the land of Canaan, the land to enjoy the life that he had already promised them. And he began to put that in action before they ever turned in his direction. Because you may have given up, God has not given up. It's the woman in adultery at the steps of the temple. And she had been caught in adultery. She's about to be stoned to death. And Jesus comes to her and goes, listen, I know you got yourself here. Let's be straight. But I can get you out of here. And I don't condemn you. 
So literally, leave your life of sin. Translation, begin to sow and reap your way into a different direction. And it's Peter, the night that Jesus is going to be crucified, the, the night where he betrayed and backstabbed Jesus in the most epic way that you can imagine. And the whole while, Jesus was already prayer, preparing for Peter's return that, hey, Peter, I know what you've done. I know what you said. I know what happened in the courtyard, but I'm already orchestrating the fact that you're going to change the world. You're going to be one of the greatest church planners that's going to usher my good news to every generation, every culture, every language. And so you may have given up on you. You may have given up on your happiness. You may have given up on us. You may be ready to quit, but no matter how far you've sown in one given direction, it is not over for you. And so I want this to be the words of Jesus to you today. Listen to me, because for some of you, this is the moment the Holy Spirit blows something up in your heart. It's Jesus' words to go, I love you. And my love was never contingent on what direction you've been sowing. It's been based on me. And so I love you. I'm for you. I've got something up ahead, and I have not given up on your happiness and on your life. So I want you to turn in my direction. I want you to surrender to me, and I want you to begin to wave the white flag because I have a life for you that I literally died to give you. But you have got to follow me out of this place. And you got to sow and reap your way into a different direction because enjoyment and happiness is an outcome. I'm going to end with this. I really am going to end with this. But at the very end of this section of this talk, Jesus ends the whole thing this way. And there's more verses you can go and you can read on your own. But he, he ties the bow on it like this. And this is so powerful. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, meaning they don't just believe it. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an intention. Not that religious game of like, yeah, 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 I should, I should, I should. And then we don't do anything but they actually do something, put it into practice. They're like a wise man who built their house on a rock. And a guy who builds his house on the rock, he doesn't build the house in a day. Jesus is like, it's, it's not immediately accessible. It, it takes time. And nothing's gonna change immediately, but it will change eventually. And then verse 26, he says, but contrast, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the thing about that is when you build your house on the sand, this, this picture that Jesus is painting for us is there's no immediate consequences. There's nothing that you feel initially. It takes time. But all of you, even if you haven't been in church, you probably know how this parable ends. Is A storm came. And the guy who built his, his life, which is what this is referring to on the rock, followed, followed what Jesus had, had laid out, came to the other side and was able to enjoy life, was able to find happiness again. And the guy that built his life on the sand was left with nothing but regret. And just hear me for a second, because some of you are so imprisoned to your circumstances. And what's kind of shocking about everything that Jesus says is, and maybe even kind of offensive, but your circumstances have nothing to do with your happiness. The storm's coming for everybody. The storm's coming for the guy that built his life on the sand. The storm's coming for the guy who built his life on the rock. Nobody controls ultimately your happiness. It is in the hands of your Savior. Nobody and no thing, not your ex, not your circumstances, not what they did to you, not what they took from you, not that season of your life that was hell, not that thing that you're walking through right now where you don't understand what God's doing. All of that is true, but it does not ultimately through the course of your life define your enjoyment and happiness. The storm is coming for everybody, but if you follow and and sow and reap in the right direction. Jesus says, I will lead your life to be founded on something that is so much bigger than your circumstances where you can come out on the other side and you can be okay. You can find happiness. You can find enjoyment. And it has nothing to do with everything going right. It has everything to do with you building your life on the right thing. And so Jesus says to all of us, follow me. And isn't it amazing what we get to do as a church because we're stewards of this message. And so if we were to come to Jesus today to go, God, God, Jesus, how do, I, how do I find my way into this? And Jesus would go, everything that I just told you. And you can begin to 
today to sow and reap your way into that direction, but you have got to follow me. You are in control of your happiness and your joy, but you have got to sow and reap in the right direction. Would you stand with me wherever you're at, both campuses, north and south, and would you just give some room for the Spirit of God to work as our worship team comes as best you can to stay where you're at? Maybe this isn't for you. Maybe this didn't even resonate with you but it did with a lot of other people around you. And so to give them as little distraction and space as, as you possibly can would be really helpful right now in this moment. But for some of you, and I'm just gonna end with this, I'm not even gonna give a specific invitation because there's a thousand things represented by thousands of people on radio podcasting in the room. I don't need to tell you, the Holy Spirit is so good at revealing to you exactly what he wants to show you in this moment. So this is my only admonition as we close for a lot of you. You know it's time. You know it's time. And you've been feeling stuff and believing in stuff and intending to do stuff while sowing and reaping in the wrong direction. And Jesus is going, today is the day that you just need to surrender to me. And you just need to say yes to me. And it's not gonna happen in a moment. But I will lift you up and I will lead you out and I'll lead you into what I've been preparing for you for the whole time. Jesus, I thank you so much for for your invitation that whatever you're asking us to do in this moment, and for some of us, it is so painfully clear we can barely stand up. Give us the courage to do it and give us the courage to believe what is on the other side ultimately, even if it's not immediate, that you're for our joy and our happiness You died to give it to us by coming, living a perfect life we couldn't live, dying the death for our sin that we should have died. And for a lot of us, it starts with simple, Lord, initiation of relationship with you to move to I know about God, to placing my faith and trust in Jesus, to believe that he really did live, he really did die for all my sin, and he really did walk out of a grave alive. And so I'm gonna, best of my ability, I'm gonna begin to follow him. I pray today they'd make that transfer of trust and, and simply believe. Scripture says simply trust in. And then for many of us who are already there, I pray this would be the moment that you would just lead us to act on what you're showing us right now. And I pray that we would begin to believe in the coming days and weeks and months where maybe the outcome isn't immediate, that you are leading us in a direction and we are going to sow and reap all that you've promised in terms of as we follow you a life that is not ordinarily encountered and it's not found in what it is only found in the who that is Jesus and so we're praying this we're asking this and we're about to lift up our voices as if we believe this in this moment in Jesus name amen hey thanks again for listening if you enjoyed this message would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher you can actually now listen to us on google play stitcher TuneIn, soundcloud and apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.